Welcome to Electronically Yours with Martin Ware. Hello, it's Martin here, Electronically Yours as always. Today's guest is from a band that you wouldn't normally associate with anything electronic, but he is from a band that I've always liked called Echo and the Bunny Men. His name is Will Sargent and he's the only continuous member of Echo and the Bunny Men throughout their entire existence. Uh, he's the guy who does all the guitars and the guitarscaping for all their great tunes. Always had a lot of respect for them. And uh, as I said, it's not electronic, but uh, he does actually have uh, a love of electronic music, which, which we discuss. He's even put out some ambient music in the past and intends to do some more in the future. And um, he's an experimental uh, visual artist as well and um, has done that all throughout his career. He's a very smart guy. He's just released his new uh, autobiography called Bunny Man, uh, and, um, which is volume one, really. I think volume two is currently writing. Uh, it's been a big success, and it's going to be on the same publisher as my autobiography, which is going to come out next year. So here he is, the Bunny Man, the bunny man himself, Will Sargent. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I like the combination of the hair colour and the beard. I'm very happy with that. Uh, well, it's natural. It's not dyed. It's just the way it's... That's just the cards have been dealt. Grey beard and pubes. Black, dark hair. Don't show me the pubes, all right? <laughs> Well, the pubes go from there all the way up to here. <laughs> You're looking to have any air. I mean, good Lord. Um, yeah. With the video or without? I don't know. What's it with the video. Might as well, yeah. Okay. I, I think it's better. You can communicate better, can't we? So how are you keeping? All right. In these COVID times? That's been good. <laughs> well, you know, except for the people dying. That was pretty bad. Yeah. Anybody, but, uh, clo- anybody close to you? Uh, yeah, a couple of people. Yeah, um, you know, it's like uh, you're not you can do about it. So you don't know what I, I. I still don't know what it's all about. I don't know whether you know. It's kind of shrouded in mystery. The whole thing, isn't it? It's like some sort of weird sci-fi plot. You know, well, remember I mean, the, the, I'm on the telly survivors. Yeah, you the know, worst thing for me is waking up in the morning, and and kind of. At first, you think everything's normal, and then you then after a few minutes, you realise it's not been normal for a good while now, is it? Really? Yeah. Well, we haven't anyway. done. I haven't done any work since two thousand nineteen. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, you know, like guitar playing. Oh, really? Yeah. Have you not felt inspired to do any recording or anything? Um, not really. <laughs> I have done a bit, just pottering around. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, too busy enjoying myself. Really? What? So, what have you been doing with your free time then? Uh, walking. You know, uh, just hanging out. You know, um, started doing collages a while back. Been doing them. Right. Uh, playing records, collecting records. You know that sort of crap. You know. You see, you've got a fine. You've got a fine collection there, by the look of it. Um. So tell me about growing up um, in Liverpool and how you became 
oh come on Liverpool's suffused with uh, musical inspiration I know it is and I'm with you. Stop going on. Stop hammering on about the fucking Beatles. But mm-hmm. you know, it is a major uh, part of the DNA of the town, isn't it? Really. So, tell us about yeah. how it all started for you. Uh, it was just like a couple of lads that lived over the road called the Mazenkos, and their dad was like a refugee in the war, or ended up over here anyway. And he was in some camp that was at the top of our road, and he got to um, meet this farmer's daughter and stayed you know got married and stayed and and um we, i was just mates with them you know and never thought anything of the fact that they were like from a you know a refugee situation or anything like that like i don't even know whether they were i don't really know the full backstory to it i know they got their uh grandma out of uh, soviet union in the 70s, I think it was, and it took a lot of negotiating, but she was getting on everything, and they managed to let her come out and come over to the West, you know. Um, she never spoke English. Uh, I could never be sure whether they were from the Ukraine or Poland, I'm not sure, you know, but uh, they were they were into music before me. They were a bit old, so they liked all Led Zeppelin, Family, Taste, Jethro Tull, Free, you know, even Deep Purple. <laughs> I, that was my first album, was Deep Purple in Rock. Yeah, it's a classic. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, and uh, so I was kind of influenced by them, and we I'd go over to their house, and they'd have and a Grundig tape recorder, and they'd stick the mic in yeah. front of, like, you know, the telly and record Top of the Pops or the radio, you know, when it was, like, the countdown or... Um, you know, any programs with any music on, they'd be recording them, you know, and we'd listen to these tapes endlessly, you know, and then rub them off the next week because they didn't have loads of tapes, you know. And so that was kind of an influence, you know. And, and the, the other thing we used to do is we used to swap records all the time. So when I started, like, a paper round, like, I was buying records, you know, that's what I was spending the money on. Um, And we'd swap records. So you sort of expanded your library of music you could always borrow a record off your mate you know around the village that were into music and we weren't into like pop music as such you know we were into more kind of um um prog rock yeah prog rock and like heavy rock you know yeah or prog rock you know like the likes of taste and the groundhogs people like that (laughs) Uh, demons out Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Edgar Broughton Band, yeah. That yeah, and all that shit. I saw them <laughs> at City Hall. That was great, man. Anyway. <laughs> now, how, how old are you? 63. Yeah, I'm 65, so yeah. we're kind of similar, aren't we, in that yeah. respect? Um, yeah, because I grew up with prog rock in the... In the in, in I've got no shame in saying I love prog rock, and I love still it. love it now. You know, it's like, what's your problem? That, that was like the underground music at the time. It was. Yeah. Virgin Records was a cult label. It wasn't like this big conglomerate it is now. Yeah, it was a load of hippies in London starting, right. thing, you know. So it was cool, you know. And the shops were great. So you could. I was, I've become fascinated. I've you know I've done loads of these um, podcasts, and I've become fascinated with the bands and the artists that crossed out that that started a bit earlier than punk, who 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 kind of managed to scrape into the punk movement and be and become like involved with it so people like ultravox and devo and 
they were and 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 Docs of Madness actually, uh, yeah. who I was a big fan of. I'm just yeah. fascinated with that period because they, I suppose we call it proto punk, won't we? That's something. Yeah, like, I don't know what it was. It was there was like definitely a link between the old world and things which I think just people growing up and changing, you know. So it was like the old world was based in blues, and then there was like this yeah. new world, and you got like the likes of, well, I suppose Doctor Feel Feelgood are very blues, but um, I don't know. Like you said, Doctors of Madness. Uh, Bebop Deluxe. Yes. So it sort of was changing here, Roxy music. Even uh, 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 um, the Alex Harvey band and, and yeah, stuff like that. Oh, Faith Healer, what a track. Yeah. One of my favourites. So, to, I mean, I've been doing quite a lot of reading about you. I mean, very kindly, um, our mutual publishers gave me your book, which I've not had a chance to read yet. Right, it's getting uh, rave reviews, isn't it? So I've got something. In fact, he said to me, you, "He gave me the book and said, essentially, he said, make it more like this to my because <laughs> I've written mine, and that we're now in the kind of nitty gritty phase of I, it." I didn't do it like when when I was you know, writing the book. I purposely never read anything because I think you don't want to be coloured by it. So. Maybe do yours first, then read it. Like, I know no, I'm, I have done, and they don't like it as much as yours. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Well, no, no, I'm being a bit unfair. No, I, it, there is, um, there's a lot of humour in it, you know, and it's kind of like all tongue in a lot of tongue in cheek stuff, and kind of I don't take it too serious, you know. Yeah. You no, know, yeah. I think just start getting too po faced about it all, and like I listened to your podcast with Richard Hawley. I thought it was brilliant. By the way, I love Richard. He's great. That's the very first one I did, and that was the funniest, possibly. Yeah, yeah he's a genius, and um, he, is. He, is. Um, um, he was saying that you know you've you don't try too hard, you know, don't don't sort of try too hard, and that's that's the key to it. And I think that's right. And the beginning, we weren't trying too hard. We didn't. We were turning down things left, right, and centre because we just thought they were uncool, and we were like, "Nah, we're not doing that. We're not that desperate." You know what I mean? That's right. So the cool, right? This is a good, uh, a good uh, jumping-off point. So this concept of cool, um, mm. round about the kind of pre, just pre-punk, punk, and just after, was a, was personally my guiding principle. I mean, I suppose the you know the the con the complete uh, leader of our movement was Bowie in that respect. So I always use that as a kind of mental benchmark for whether somebody else would find it cool. It worked against uh, us with the early Human League in the first instance <laughs> because we were cool. There's no doubt about that. But no fucker wanted to buy what we did, uh, or not many anyway. But I, you know, it's lasted the, the, the test of time. So that's that's that. So well, I did. <laughs> I bought the early Human League stuff. Did you? Yeah, yeah. Did you yeah. see? You didn't have to see us at the limit. Uh, not the limit. What we're talking about the um, Eric's. Yeah. You did. Yeah, yeah. Fucking hell. But there's just three a year, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, and did you did you've lost that loving feeling? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> In fact, we did it at a gig last weekend as well. Me and Glenn, yeah. just as a tribute. Yeah. And, um, was the other member just on slides and stuff like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. That was. Um, I can remember seeing two year on stage, but I knew there was three involved. There was, there was three, uh, three uh, me, Ian Marsh, and Phil singing, obviously, and then there was, I can't remember at that time. I think uh, Adrian was part of the band who did the slides. Okay. He was to the side of the stage, so it might have looked like a monitor guy or something. Yeah, yeah, I remember uh, there's someone somewhere at the back or somewhere. He was like live 
uh, kind of slide VJ. It's a really yeah, like weird. Liquid Land and the Landsman. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, wow. Hawkwind, yeah. Um, anyway, so um, tell me about. I loved it. It was a, it's yeah. in my book, I think, and it, I, I loved it, you know. Yeah. So when when um you you've got a definite predilection according to everything I've read for um you love Eno and 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 yeah. the kind of ambient stuff and what have you. Yeah. But you know, you are known as a supreme guitarist. So how come really uh, the Bunnymen never really and they didn't have very much in the way of electronics involved, did they? Really, was this no. something that was that a conscious decision? I suppose. Yeah, it was kind of like we were sort of. I was very much influenced by television, and they didn't have any synths involved. That's true. Right, yeah. right. I saw it all. Like I loved the synthesizer world and the electronic world, anyway. And I saw that as my own little personal kind of on the on the side kind of deal. You know. Ah, like, right. What did you have? What do you have? What synths? Yeah. Very little. We had a, um, I had a clavio line. Do you know what that one of them is? It's like a weird, you know, the song Telstar. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had one of them. I had um, uh, a Casio, I think it's called a CT40 or something. Right. Or something like a little pretend keyboard thing, a uh, tiny thing. And I had uh, the the use of the teardrop explodes. Um, they had a, a string synth, a, a, um, a Roland string synth. Oh, they were good actually. I used those as well. Yeah. It wasn't quite a Mellotron, and it was, it was bit, good. It was good, but it was a bit sweet. Than like a Mellotron's got that kind of like gritty edge, doesn't I it? I love Mellotron. You know, it sounds great. Um, I nearly, so I, bought, I nearly bought a Mellotron, one of Moody Blue's spare Mellotrons, believe it or not. And then I realised they weighed literally about a ton. Yeah. And I thought, I can't be a dead arse with all that shit. Yeah. Uh, they are amazing, like, amazing bit of equipment. Yeah. I'd be dragging it around and trying to, you know, and something happens to it, you know. Did you ever see King Crimson performing? No, I've never seen them. I've only seen them on the telly, you know. Like, oh, fucking hell. They blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I know they did that. Um, didn't they do that gig with the Stones in the park? Um, oh, no, they did. But just after when they, had, they released all them butterflies and all of them were just dead. They flopped. Brian got killed. No, I'm laughing about that. It's not very nice. But, uh, <laughs> but they released all these butterflies. Did that like little poem, didn't he, Jagger, and the white little frock thing he had on? I don't think I've ever seen that. It must be on oh, YouTube. Yeah, it's just like um, it's it's. Not long after Brian had died, and they right. did a festival in, the, in Hyde Park in London. My brother was there. Gilbert and George was wandering around dressed as like, you know, kind of the gold, you know, living sculptures. Oh, brilliant. So, you know, it's like when London had that real cool underground vibe, mm. you know, the Pink Fairies and, you know, all them sorts of bands were, were kicking off, you know, Portland, right. I suppose. All that load yeah. lad. I'm looking at your um, list of artistic things on your website that you've been doing. Out, I mean, it's kind of as a parallel career line with uh, with the Bunnymen, and it's quite an impressive list of shit. 
No, I don't mean shit. You know, I mean. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know you in that, uh, that way. But I mean, you've you've authentically um, been involved in the art world for a very long time, and this is. Uh, do you feel it's like a vocation for you that you have to, you feel compelled to express yourself in different artistic ways? Exactly. That's it. Yeah. And, and I do it all as the same thing. It all comes from the same bit of your mind. And it's, you know, if I'm doing a painting or making a record, I'm doing it in the same, the same way. And know? do you think they cross fertilize and inform each other? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, Hear colours and see sound. Yes, know, right. So synesthesia was the next question I was going to ask you about. Do you, I mean, a, a lot of artists who are, shall we say, multidisciplinary, um, seem to have a, a very significant cross wiring of the brains between the visual and the and the um, and the auditory. Um, it's something that fascinates me because I work in three dimensional sound all the time, so I get to work with a lot of visual artists. Um, do you think that's the case? How do you view that? Um, well, can you repeat the question? <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine it, 3D sound. <laughs> <laughs> you got distracted. No, I'm, uh, I'm just asking really if, say, for instance, you're ever inspired by a visual... Uh, thing to create sound well, yeah, or maybe yeah. sound inspires a, a painting or you know is there a cross fertilization between those between the senses really yeah i think so it's all the same thing isn't it it's all you know like when i'm painting i'll have music on and yeah. but will send your brain somewhere you know if you if it's a dark song or whatever you'll start painting dark things or using dark i don't know it's it's subliminal in it but what 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 I'm uh, trying to get over to the podcast listeners is, it seems obvious for you and me, and for a lot of other people that I talk to. But what I've realised over the years is, it's not a common trait. It's it's actually unusual, and I think it's a large part of what makes us creative artists. It's something that's completely we're we're not in control of. It is completely under the radar. And it's only when I've got, you know, got to like the 60s, really, uh, sorry, my 60-odd years, that I realised that's the case. I just wonder what you thought about that. I think that's completely right. It's um, it's something that you can't help. It's in there and it's just sort of... And, and I agree with you that not everybody gets it. And you say, well, what's easy playing guitar? You just do, you know, you just... <laughs> you know, what, what's your problem? Like, you know... <laughs> <laughs> but I can just pick up, a, like I could just pick up a guitar and make something up, but I couldn't, you know, it'd take me ages to work out a song by somebody else. You know, I wouldn't bother. I wouldn't even attempt it because I'm not interested in playing other people's songs, you know, so. um, Have you ever produced, You have you ever produced other people or arranged I don't know, But, you know, it, I remember what we were like, you know, always arguing and snotty and everything. And to go in with some snotty band who think they know everything. I did some bands in the early days before I started producing properly for other people. And I said, that's it. I'm not doing bands anymore. Yeah. There's always cliques. There's always arguments. Yeah. yeah. There's always like, yeah. And it's, we like, it's like being a referee in a football game. You never, yeah. you're, you're on a losing, 
losing wicket all the time to make yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was a lot of that, you know, lot, you know, um, a lot of sort of opposite ideas kicking off all the time. And that's good. Go. It is good, but if they're against my my way. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, you always had the option of forming your own band and doing it your way, and you being the leader. I suppose it's a bit like me and Phil. You know, we were two strong, opinionated people in in a young band, and eventually, I suppose, we had different views on things. You know, he wanted to be a straightforward pop star, and I I wasn't willing to give up the uh, the kind of artistic part of it. Uh, to, yeah, to no. yeah, that, it's exactly the same, same right. sort of. Thing. You know, so um, you just sort of get on with it. And tell us about uh, your relationship with Ian then. How it was back then, and how it is now. Mm, that's a hard one. Um, I'd rather not, really. Really? Hey. <laughs> wow. He's, okay. He's, uh, yeah. All right, fair, fair enough. No, I, I don't want to any, anything. I, I just, you know, it's obvious that that um, you created some amazing work. Yeah. Uh, which, incredibly enough, kind of crossed over to a massive kind of mainstream audience. Uh, because you know, I mean, this, I was listening to some John Peel sessions of yours, early ones with the drum machine and all that stuff. And I thought, this is really good. And, I, you know, if I'd have been around then and a record coming out, I'd have gone, yeah, I'll definitely sign them fuckers. They sound great. And, yeah, but they uh, really try and change you. That's the issue, isn't it? Yeah. So they, they see a spark that's great, and that spark is what's making you great. And then they try and the damned us to extinguish that spark and make you like everybody else. And that, we we were always arguing and fighting with the labels and all that. Well, I'm not talking about just getting the getting a drummer. We wanted a drummer at the time because it was yeah. kind of like the drum machine was so primitive. You know, I kind it, of liked it. It reminded me a bit of like a guitar-based suicide. Yeah, well, they were one of my favourite bands. Yeah. Uh, also, Metal Airbane from Paris. Do you know them? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like them. And they had a drum machine, but their drum machine was on like you know 180 BPM or something. <laughs> it was like 120. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> but um, oh, th this is an interesting um, vein to explore. Then, so did you feel? Did you feel that the when you were becoming popular, did you feel that the record company were? your allies or were they somebody that you continuously had to fight to maintain your integrity with? For me personally, I was fighting. Right. Are you a uh, fighter? Uh, not really a fighter, but I was fighting them because they were getting on my nerves. They were trying to push us in, in ways that I didn't want to be pushed. Like a pop group. They brought us, they brought us into the office one day and played as um, – you know, so by Peter Gabriel, that album with all the right sampled, yeah, yeah, all over it. And and he said, We want you to sound more like this. I'm like, No, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like because that was because that was a hit, if you like, you know what I mean, big time and all that stuff. It was a massive hit. I'm thinking, Yeah, I just don't get it. Yeah, 
And like, you know, when we did Electrofiction, he came. I love that, by the way. Yeah, he came down and, um, you know, the, the label bloke came down and he was like moaning about it or it wasn't this or it wasn't that. And he couldn't understand that that's how we wanted it to sound. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, but that's how we want it to sound. Yeah. You know? And, um, yeah, it pissed me off because he said, well, I'm a millionaire, so I must be right. Are you sure you signed with the right label? Who? <laughs> <laughs> Which label was that? Yeah, that was um, Warner's, I think. What? Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, this is the problem. I mean, I must admit, uh, it, my comparative uh, experience with record labels—we were very lucky because Virgin were good to us. You know, they they trusted us to a certain extent, and uh, but right from the outset, and we had it written into the constitution. They weren't allowed into the studio during the creative process. They could pass comment right. once it was done, and we yeah. might take some notes. But we, I think it's the thin end of the wedge. If you don't establish that relationship early doors, you've got a problem. Slow to that. You know, like the label had come down, and then they'd go off with Drummond, uh, Bill Drummond, and like yeah. there'd be like whispers in the corridor or whatever. Oh, no, you no, know. no, 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 no. It was like they weren't into it or whatever. And uh, Bill would like have to sort of translate it in a way that we wouldn't kick off, <laughs> you know. You know. So there was a lot of that went on. Um, I mean, that album's good. I really like it. That's great. Yeah. I, I, I look, I, are you proud of that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that one. Yeah, there's someone not so proud of, but that one. Right. Okay. Um, which of your big Hits with the bunny men are you most happy with? Oh, it don't have to be big hits actually. Which of your which yeah. summed up what you wanted to achieve best? I don't know because I never thought about it like that. I never really thought, um, you know, the only thing I wanted to achieve was being like considered a real band that I'd like, like the same way that, that I don't know, love or the doors are kind of respected now. I didn't mind not. Not being in the charts or any of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. About yeah. That. and that would cause problems. Um, you know, uh, but you know, I just wanted to see be seen as like a real band, like the faces, or you know, kind of like a proper classic, like it, you know, could be deemed a classic band. I think yeah. you, I think you, you achieved that, yeah, I, think I definitely like, think so, yeah, and uh, certainly whenever. I mean, uh, you know, later on when when you were touring and stuff, um, people love what you do, and it's very popular in a lot of different territories, uh, by yeah. all accounts. And uh, yeah. you know, when right, here's another question. Um, it relates to how I think about what I, you know, the stuff I've written and stuff. We, when you were writing it, did you write it with an ambition for it to? for the recordings to be you know did you think that people would be listening to it in 10 and 20 30 40 years time and still time. loving it yeah we were trying to make something timeless that was what we were always going on about we wanted it to be timeless we said the same thing to ourselves yeah yeah and uh so that's that's what you know but it it wouldn't say it was an out like ambition never really had much ambition really like you're, you know, when I was listening to Richard and he was saying that uh, 
you know, about the trying too hard and all that. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like that with me. You know, I didn't want to, I wasn't, it was day to day and it wasn't like a master plan. There was no, 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 anyway, there might've been for for me. Very few people do, I think, um, who are artists. I mean, they, they... you know, I didn't, I didn't think it wouldn't last, but I didn't think it would last either. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking, oh, this is going to pack in any minute. It could have done, you know, it was, it was quite fragile. Yeah. Yeah. The whole situation was pretty fragile. So, Round about that period um, that we were talking about, sort of, I suppose, late seventies to early early eighties. I, I just did a, an interview with Pete Wiley. I couldn't get a word in edgeways, of course, but <laughs> Do you, you know Pete, presumably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the thing that impressed me about the whole Liverpool thing was how it was so, so fluid. A lot of bands kind of. Merged and they, they had you know different lineups for different things and then there's like it's like a never-ending kind of supergroup that's kind of a that it's like an amoeba that changes and stuff and um, and yeah, the same's true for you. I mean, you you had different incarnations with different luminaries, didn't you and stuff? Um, we had like somebody playing keyboards for us and we it was just whoever was around really. Paul Simpson, right. Paul Swans did it and. Mates of ours called Andy Eastwood did it. I met a lad called Jamie. He did it as well. And he was going to play guitar, but that didn't work out. Um, so, yeah, it was, but they were, they would just all come in and it was basically me, Les and Mac, you know. Right. That was the, the core at yeah, the beginning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And did you get on well with the other bands? Uh, some of them. Like uh, there was a lot of that, you know, if you got anywhere or you got mentioned to the enemy uh, and the oh. sounds, and so there was like jealousy going around. There was a lot of that, and we were as bad as everybody else. Yeah, it was the same. It was the same in Sheffield, to be honest. Yeah. There's a word in uh, Ireland, uh, begrudgery. I like that one. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that, didn't you, Sir Richard? Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's what it was like, you know, a yeah. lot of that. Yeah. Um, but, Wanting you to fail a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> it's weird, but, um, isn't it? British thing. It's like in America, it's all like, yeah, go, go for it, guys. Yeah, you know, it's like, right. You break your neck. <laughs> <laughs> but it's only it's because it throws a light on, I suppose, people's bitterness and inadequacy. It's yeah, it's majority and all that stuff, you know. And, so you know, at the peak of your, at the peak of your success, uh, you know, uh, what did it go to your heads? I think, in a fashion sense, once you're in a band and you're like away from home, you can wear what the hell you like. Anything. <laughs> So, you know, I'd be going around all these, like, shops in America and buying little straw boater hats and fucking yeah. dicky bows and all kinds of shite, you know. I, just, you just buy all this random stuff. <laughs> and it was okay to wear over there because you were like, oh, this sort of, like, exotic creature from another world, you know. But he's bring back to Liverpool. Everyone was laughing at you. <laughs> like, I remember when we were in Japan, I bought this suit, and it didn't have any buttons up the front. It had, like, a round collar. And it, it was it was just weird. It was dead, like... 
there was nothing to you know there was no like pockets or and it was just like this like and a narrow suit kind yeah, of yeah and I had trousers that went to like uh like you know like sort of like almost like plus fours oh right and um bit tintin and like I in my head I was tintin you know well I lost a lot of what you've had Peter Hooten was like laughing at me, like, you know what I mean, from the farm. <laughs> Walking hell, what's that? You know? <laughs> was that back in Liverpool? Yeah. 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 Peter's a lovely guy, isn't he? He's sweet. <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah. I was just, I, I was just thinking because we deliberately, uh, with the Hume League, deliberately avoided doing the whole world tour thing and, you know, rock arenas and all that stuff. But that must have been an ambition of yours to do that. Is that right? You no? No, I like doing places. I like doing, you know, small, small places. I like it where you can see the whites of their eyes. Yeah. You know, and uh, I don't like these mega things where there's a great big gap between you and the crowd and all that. It's shite. Remember me and Mac went to see Bowie at Wembley Arena and it was rubbish. And like we were like, we were getting pressure all the time to play Wembley Arena. Right. We did it in the end, and and it was it was rubbish. <laughs> you know, we were we couldn't rise to the occasion. It took, you know, in America, we, we did so many of them sort of bigger places, call them the sheds, yeah. and about ten thousand people or something, and you kind of get into the groove of it. But they're all just there in front of you. There's not seats or anything, and it's like kind of. Or there might be a bit of seated at the front, but then there's a gap where people can stand, and it's a bit more kind of, I don't know, just it's not as like formal. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so it's uh, you can kind of deal with that, you know. Um, but doing big places, I don't know. I always like doing Barrowlands and places like that. That's yeah, me too. Me too. It's great. Well, Scotland in general. Um, the um, so I suppose it's a massively uh, important thing for you to feed off the energy of the audience and yeah, the enthusiasm. Because, like, you know, say for instance, you do the NEC. I've done it a couple of times, and it's like I, I characterise the audience as being like a big, dumb, sweet animal. You know, it, it, there's no kind of it flattens out all the dynamics of the response because it's just bit too big for me. Um, but um, you're right. I think the American audiences are different. They're, they have a, a different attitude towards all yeah, that. Yeah, like, like bands like you 2 could do that. And they, yeah. and they could, like, get every single person in that, you know, mega dome place jumping up and down or whatever, even to the back, you know. And yeah. Uh, you know, that's like something that they could do and we couldn't do or didn't want to do, you know, for some yeah. reason. Oh, interesting, interesting. Okay. So um so I was looking for your album, um, the grind album. Oh yeah. The the, the um the ambient album that you, that you did, but it's not on Spotify. Is that deliberate? Yeah. Yeah. I hate Spotify. <laughs> even though this, even though this is on Spotify, I know. I know. But no, I, I don't. I think all them things have killed, are killing music. It's just, it's just shit. And it's not. It's not like because of the financial thing. It it just sort of it's blanding everything out. It's like there's no 
like when I used to buy records, it was the hunt. Yes. Or just the the kill. Yeah. <laughs> you know <what> I mean, <laughs> when you finally got that metal machine music in your hand. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I completely America, agree. You know, and the cover and everything. It's all about that for me. And and I, I think they've lost, you know, try selling a bloody MP3 on Discogs. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's nobody, it's just like, what? It's it's nonsense. Yeah. It's selling some sort of weird, I don't know what it is. I just can't, I can't get my head around it. Well, it's, it's it's a decon a, a, a de how is it decontextualization of music. So basically, it takes it strips away the artwork, which is an important part of understanding what the artistic intention is. But it also strips away any patina of age whatsoever. Yeah. You can own the MP3 forever, and it'll yeah. sound the same then as it did then. Did then? I was gonna. I was thinking about. Um, I, I can I just say one thing. Yeah. I, I love it when I buy a second-hand record. Yes, somebody's writing in it. You know, <laughs> Claire Smith or something. You know, <laughs> to belong to, and they've, they've obviously took it to a party. Yes, not mine that one. You know what I mean? And I love that. You know, I love like getting records where somebody's either coloured it in or you know done something like that. You know, I had that one uh, relics. You know, by Pink Floyd. Oh yeah. Yeah, that was always a, a that was like one of them things you do for stress, isn't it? You feel yeah, like you pull them in with biros, you know. <laughs> That's very funny. Uh, yeah, you know, so I don't I don't mind the covers being a bit trashed, everything being a bit dog eared and I preferred it. You know. I was gonna I, I was gonna invent a, uh, uh and I was serious about it as well. I was gonna create a uh 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 plug in. Not a plug in, hold on. Let me get this right. It was an iPhone app that would you could store your music in it, and it would actually add aging to it as you <laughs> go along, visually, and add crackles and stuff depending on how long you'd owned it. Yeah, yeah. Just to get back to that magic. Yeah, that's a good idea. That no, it's the not bad, is it? it? The more you play it, yeah, the more the more the more slightly the more, cracklier or dust. more damage. Yeah, yeah. I've had one of them uh, vacuum cleaners, you know, for the records. Have you? <laughs> Put this liquid on it, and it sucks it all the shite out. And done Is it? Yeah. Oh God, I used to love them gadgets, all like you know, proper vinyl cleaners and stuff. Yeah. Um. So, in terms of your, I mean, do you, are you going to do any more ambient music? Yeah, I've been toying with this idea of doing a desktop kind of some desktop gigs. Yeah, we have all your bits and bobs on a desk, and yes, yeah, I've done them in the past um, as Glide. You know, I had a tape machine and stuff like that, and I'd feed things in. And um, I used to play the, I used to put the guitar flat, and I had this metal rod and a screwdriver, and I'd like hit it with the rod, you know, like this. I'd have it to an open chord, you know, and then I'd slide the the screwdriver up and down yes nice and it was it was pretty effective like you know it was like the heaviest guitar sound ever you know <laughs> you're twatting it with a metal rod but it's like, it's like a thin one it's like more like i don't know something like a coat hanger or something like that you know oh, experiment like, with different things I, I twisted it all around and i put like little dangly bits on the ends for a visual content you know to okay. make it interesting I suppose you could use like a, 
projections you, that are made and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. You can use like an Ebo and stuff and do stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And um, I used to roll up marbles up and down the strings. That's quite good. Yeah. Like big ones, bolly washers. Yeah, yeah. Have you uh, uh, ever been to any Christian Marclay exhibitions? No. Oh, my God. Right, so... Um, they had a huge one in the Tate, what, about 15 years ago. It was amazing. And he makes, like, huge devices associated with recording and music, musical instruments and stuff. He invented the term turntablism and stuff. Oh, yeah. And But one of the videos that was in the exhibition, he did this thing where he got a Strat and he, uh, atta he, he attached uh, an amp I think it was like a Vox AC30 or something, to the top of a car. And he, he attached a strat on a rope to the back of the car mm. and, uh, of course, plugged the uh, guitar into the amp and just drove off and had a car following, filming it all. And it was going, ding, clang, ding, 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 ding. It was the best thing ever. It, should, it was like an automatically generated metal machine music. Yeah. Wow. I've seen, I've been to some uh, you know sound art things you know there was one mob where they put <laughs> they had a record player and they put um, fireworks on the record you know like oh, ones that like spinning oh yeah 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 and uh, and then it was in the Lipper in Liverpool yeah. and uh, fire brigades end up <laughs> that's all the alarms off and that was the end of that but they'd also at one point they were playing. Um, Circular saws, put on the needle. Yeah, that's similar great. kind of thing. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think what else from that Christian Markley exhibition. They had this thing where they had a tape recorder, and it was it fixed it so as you did loads of loops, kind of iterative loops of feedback of an original signal, and then after a few loops, it would it would just pour off into a giant pile of tape. Mm. It's just so beautiful because it was like they'd set it going every day and it would be a different pile every day and all wow. that sort of stuff. I love all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so um, did you like Iggy and the Stooges? Yeah. I really, really like their earliest stuff. I love Kill City. I thought that yeah. was a great album. And um, oh, I love the idiot and all that yeah, stuff later on. Hard early stuff, you know. Yeah. Who's your favourite guitarist? Uh, well, I like a lot. I like um, I like the two lads out of television, Tom Boleyn and Richard Lloyd. I thought they were amazing. The interplay between the two of them. Yeah. Uh, Sid Barrett. Yeah. Um, Bill Mantonera. Roxy, it's probably too many. You know, even like Jimmy Page, all of Jimmy Page, Hendrix, Robert Fripp, Fripp, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's my favourite of all, to be honest. Just because I can see some of that kind of textural stuff that you do. Uh, you're very good with tone colours, uh, uh -huh. and. To be honest, were it a different guitarist in the Bunny Men, it'd be an entirely different band. I mean, you are the the kind of tonal mass um, ton tonmeister of the band, you know. And uh, so, but I I think the the mastery that you have of different textures and stuff is 
fucking good. Uh, yeah. Very impressive. Yeah. Uh, it's because you have an artistic heart, I think. Yeah. Because you're, it seems to me that you're constantly looking for different ways to create new textures and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I like messing around with the guitar that's not in the normal way, sort of, even though, like, live and, you know, like on, say, on the track Zimbo when we recorded that, I, I played the guitar with a pair of scissors. <laughs> Tremendous. And, uh, that was good. <laughs> you know. I don't know what um, to say to that. I've got n nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was like using it like a bow, you know, but it had like a nice right. rough edge down the blade. So it's like, you know, I, right. I do a lot of that sort of stuff like scratching the strings and, you know, all that sort of swag. Um, Have you ever done any of that stuff on stage, live? Yeah, yeah, I do it live. But I'll yeah. use, uh, I used to have this piece of an old lamp. It was like a uh, copper metal. And that had a good texture that I could scratch up and down, you know. Uh, but you can only do the first four strings because obviously because I'm playing it live, I wasn't tuning it to an open tuning. So right. it was like, I had to just do it at certain, had to be more accurate really, otherwise it would sound a bit off. off. Um, or if I've lost that, I just use the plectrum and just, yeah. and I'll rough up the edge of the plectrum with a bit of sandpaper or something. This is great stuff. <laughs> this podcast gold. We're people trying this shit all over the all over the world. Yeah, um, local, so you yeah. I bend the neck and all that, you know. Like, yeah, I bet your guitar tech loves you. <laughs> well, years ago when we had, we had this one called Curly, I called I christened him Curly because he looked like Curly Watts from uh, oh. from um, Corey, you know, yeah. and. Uh, I used to purposely ream three strings off at a time just to keep him running around like a soft shite for a laugh. You know, <laughs> the thick spectrums, the really thick ones, black ones. Yeah. So clang. I'm like, like in, in them days, because because I wasn't proficient, my idea of of sort of getting away with it was just hit the bloody thing harder. Yeah, you know, and it makes it look like you're meant to do that, you know, or whatever, you know, so it's it dead hard, you know. Right. Um, so it was a bit violent, you know, in them days early on. I used to break loads of strings, but I don't seem to break them anymore. I don't know why. You're mellowing, no. it, mellowing out, mate. All the strings have got better. I don't know. <laughs> but, or maybe we buy more expensive strings because we used to just yeah. buy the old crap that was going, you know. So what's your go-to go -to guitar for live work, or do you have many? But, um, I like, a, like my Jaguar, yeah. and I've got um, a Jazzmaster. Uh, the best guitar I've got is uh, a Gretsch Country Gent. All oh, right, sounds great. Uh, I've got loads of guitars now. I've got bloody shit loads. I don't, you know, you're a proper rock star, mate. That's what it is. Like, like the inside of a Yes album. Steve <laughs> 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 Howe. Only thing that's missing is the hairy fairy girls and the flowery stuff with the flared uh, sleeve walking around in the background with flowers in there. So do, <laughs> do, you, do, do, you have, do you have one of those big rock kind of guitar racks at the back of the stage and you change yeah, it? Yeah, I've been using eight guitars. Good game. You know, years ago, not that many years ago, a couple of years ago, I used to use one guitar, my Jag, Jaguar. Right, that's right, all right. I used. Right. Then I started thinking I'll start playing some of the other guitars and that grew to now I use the eight guitars, you know, and I'm changing a guitar every song and all that. Yeah. 
Right, right, right. What what amplification do you use? I've got um, Blackstar and also Fender stuff. Right, you know, right. So a combination. Right. Um, and do you blast everybody else off stage with your? Uh, do you t- do you turn everything up to eleven and blast everybody else off stage? I try to, but <laughs> it, it's it's not it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, yeah, I I we tried them earplug things, you know, the little. No, I can't deal with all that. Oh, I can't be asked. No. Even Mac tried them, and he, even he didn't like them that much. He cut one off. He just that's why he cut it off with a pair of scissors. No, I can't. I can't be doing with all that shit. No, no, no. Yeah. No. Um. Okay. So we're getting towards the end of this. And uh, well, I want to ask you a question. Oh, please do go for it. Okay, Sheffield, right? Yeah. Uh, why were there so many electronic kind of bands or bands that sort of add a nod to the electronic world? Right. Sheffield, like you know, well, in the late seventies, early. Yeah, the, pro- the progenitors of that were probably Cabaret Voltaire, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then it just kind of coincided with. Um, with affordable synths coming out in the mid-70s. Right. And there was a kind of general level of, we're in the gutter here. We've got to, we've got to look to the future. And so it's quite, you know, being a, a, a futurist in the broadest sense of the word was the uh, was the amb- ambition. And it's like, well, we've got nothing to lose. So it's like, we can't afford all that fancy guitar stuff, and like, but and I tried guitar. It hurt my fingers, so I didn't do that. And then, and then, of course, like the entry level synths. Like, I'll show you. In fact, like that one was my first synth, the Korg Seven Hundred S, which we did being boiled on, and then, wow. and then we that we did being boiled on that as well, the System One Hundred, and. Uh, and all that. Anyway, but we got them all on HP because we had no, our families had no money. Yeah. There you that. go. <laughs> He's holding up the. Uh, 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 I designed that cover. I'm proud to say. Great, and you just very happy. Like yeah, it's it's yeah, become right. a. It's become a. They they they, they use this That's as. One the, of yours. There you go. There you go. That's why I used that title. Yeah. That's brilliant. Exactly. Microgrammar bold extended font. <laughs> be, I'm obsessed with fonts. Yeah. Um, again, I like that one called um, Oh God, what's it? Thund crap or something? Thundrap or something? It's like kind of that blocky, chunky looking. Yeah. Anyway, so the synths in Sheffield—it's just everybody wanted to sound futuristic, and it was just the easiest, easiest way of doing it. Really. Think, why do you think they wanted to sound futuristic? Do you think it was because of the industry there? Yes, I think part of it was the kind of like this industrial backdrop. Yeah. Kind of. We, I mean, in central Sheffield, there were loads of finishing shops for cutlery and stuff. Little Mester's shops, they used to call them. And so you'd walk around town and you'd hear all these grinding noises all the time and stuff and hammering. And you'd not think anything about it when you were young. You just thought every city must sound like this. Yeah. And it's only later you realise that, that must have an influence on our love of found sound. Yeah. Design sound. Yeah. Um, I think it's more seafaring in Liverpool. Probably. I suppose so, yeah. Everybody knew people that went away to see, you know. That's right. I did a, a, an enormous um, sound installation in, in Liverpool in 2005. Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, it was called The Crossing, and it was it was to celebrate the three 
the three queens coming in. You know, oh, yeah. The big liners. And they said, we want to draw people into Liverpool One, you know, the shopping centre. So we did this 300-metre-long uh, sound installation in 3D, uh, doing a a trip to uh, America and back in half an hour on, on a Cunard liner. <laughs> With all the appropriate music from the from the times all sped up, not not the music, oh. was sped up. the timeline was sped up, obviously. Oh. And um, that was uh, that that was really successful, actually. Yeah, I've done a few things in in Liverpool. Um, enough about me. Um, yeah. Right now, I'm going to ask you some daft uh, smash it type questions, like I do to everybody. Um, what's your favourite film? Christ. Or uh, one of them. One of them. Uh, oh, God. Dune. Sorry? Dune. Dune, man. <laughs> There's a new version coming out, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I like that. And uh, I like, yeah, I like a lot of sci-fi stuff, you know. I thought there were some really good things in, in Dune, the first <laughs> one, and it got slated massively. Oh, yeah, because... I find myself going back to to watch it again and again. Actually, we we watched it loads of times, and we all we all knew the, you know, the stuff off by heart. You know, oh, you could do like a, the the sound and music uh, thing yeah. with you know, the sing along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what's your favourite book? Oh God! Or one of them? Oh, Lord of the Rings. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, it was one that I read on the bus to work, you right. know, in 1973 or four or whatever. Right. I used to look forward to getting the bus so I could read it. So it was obviously a good book, you know what I mean? Well, uh, yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm not a massive reader. Like right. I, I I like I like a lot of John Le Carre stuff. I like right. I like spies when they're like gritty and real. I don't like James Bond. No. No, I like Ipcrest File. Stuff like Impress that. Impress file. I saw that the other day. Brilliant. What a fantastic yeah, and I like because it. it is, it's just grubby blokes in Max, isn't it? Like <laughs> slimy things. Get That's what it is. That's kind of what it is. It's not jumping around with a fancy gun and a gold bar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like you're a spy. You've got to you've got to like be incognito and blend into the background. Okay, I'll wear this dinner suit and a dicky <laughs> around with a fancy car. Yeah. No. Yeah. Tried parking that in Liverpool. I love Alice in, uh, you know, in, uh, is it Alice that's in, she's in um, one of them. She's like the one that sort of, it's like, like you know, the, the 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 control bit is in some secret, sort of behind a laundress or a, something like that. And she's there with a fag, you know, she's like <laughs> you know, in the whole thing, you know, Alice. Well, upstairs, just not fair. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like, you know, the, the, the security of the nation is in Alice's hands. You yeah, know? I love that. I used to love Man from Uncle. I must oh, say. Yeah. That was a bit sort of bondy, but it was a when you were that age, it was a great. I've got the soundtrack here. Have you? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to see it? Yeah. I've got it. To fill in for the podcast listeners. <laughs> yeah, he's searching yeah. through his gigantic yeah. record. There's one. There's a good film. Oh, bedazzled! What a film! Yeah. yeah I like do, you collect, do you collect soundtracks? 
Yeah, I feel like Debbie. I'm fucking nuts. I need treatment. <laughs> Where the hell is it? Oh, God. It's going to take ages. I think you need a, a Dewey Decimal system. Well, I've got one system, but... <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. I shall describe Will's room. Um, there's a globe, there's a moon, there's a hat, there's... Oh, he, he found it! I'm so impressed. Hugo Montenegro. I never knew that. Yeah, and Yulia uh, Koryakin and Napoleon Solo. People used to say I used to look like... Um, Seeing a film. Sorry? A film called Violent Playground. Right. It's, it's in Liverpool. Um, you know him? Um, yeah. What they call him? Yeah, he, he's the sort of, you know, the gang leader, and it's oh, it's right. it's set in there. There was like these sorts of houses, kind of like a um, a bull ring they called. Right. There's one in Liverpool called Gerard Gardens or Gerard Gardens, and uh, it's set in there, you know, and he's like the gang leader, you know, but he's only like sixteen or fifteen in it or something. Wow. Island Playground. I've never heard of that before. I never take me alive, copper, you know, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, your favourite other musical artist or composer? Well, it's got to be Bowie, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I think most people of our age would regard that to be an I obvious. All about Scott Walker. I love Scott Walker as well. There's a lot um, of Scott Walker influence on your stuff, I think. Yeah, I love Scott Walker, and uh, you know, but like, and it's Bowie that got me into so many other things, you know. You I mean, know. I didn't real, realize um, Richard Hawley was such a big a friend of Scott Walker's. Yeah, I think he's told me that in the past because I'm sort of mates with Richard, and yeah. when he comes to the pub, we'll go to the pub and that, you know, he's and a suitable scuzzy backstreet pub. <laughs> and there's plenty of them to choose from and there, there are there are um an epiphanal moment in your life that changed you know like a fork in the road and you took one direction not the other or, or even handbrake turn or some moment of light bulb realization uh there's been loads of them uh i suppose the biggest one was um Going up to Mac at this party we were at, I'd never spoke to him, and sort of saying, do you want to come round to our house and mess around with guitars and see what happens? And I, that changed the whole course of my life, that, really. Amazing. Amazing. Good. Um, Favourite visual or conceptual artist? Oh, God. <laughs> Local them as well. I really like Peter Blake. I know he's like, you know, like I love that stuff he did about Kendo Nagasaki. Have you ever seen that? He rings a bell. I, don't, I maybe I've seen it because they've had some retrospectives on it, the, you know, Tate Britain and stuff. So maybe I've seen it. Only known for, you know, he gets known for the Beatles, you know, Sergeant Peppers. Yeah. But he's, yeah, there's other stuff is, you know, really great. And he was like one of them. He was in London at that time and the Royal College of Arts or wherever they were from or St. Martin's, one of them fancy art schools. Um, yeah, with, with all the others. And there's, there's a great, um, I think there's a great documentary called Pop Pop Goes the Easel. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
done that and uh, I love all that stuff you know all the the British artists from that period like I love the American stuff you know Rothko and all the rest of it you know um, it's like collage stuff he's so cool in it uh, I love all that though, and it's like kind of like you know he'll just have a door and he'll have like some pictures of like I don't know Gina Lola Brigida or something stuck on him you know yeah brilliant um, okay all that. good um, which of your own work are you most proud of or you think kind of hit the hit the nail on the head? I'd say the first four albums. You know, I like your style. You know, you know, because it was there's not a lot on there that I don't like. You know, and and some of the, at the time there was odd tracks that I wasn't 100 percent on, but you leave it for years and years and don't play them, and and all them things that were going on in the studio that annoyed you. I've forgotten about and you can't even remember the reason why you didn't like that track was because the cymbal sound was a bit too fizzy or something stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, um, you know, like I did them, uh, you know, the um, Tim Burgess listening parties. Yeah, I'm about to do one for Luxury Gap next week. And I did the first four albums. And so I listened to them for the first time for like 20, 30 years. And I was really pleased. And I thought, God, these, you know, they are great. Like, you know what I mean? And I was they, they, they live forever, mate. That's what I, I've realised. It's, it's like, even that's after, your legacy, you know? You know, even once after that, you know, Siberia, Evergreen, the Electrofiction album, Flowers, I like I like a lot of them, you know, but the first four are, uh, you know, for me, the, the, they're not as, as radical as... I would have liked them to be, but there's a balance, you know what I mean? Like weird, if you like, you know what I mean? Like they're always going on to me as I wanted everything to be too weird. Yeah. I like the residents and people like that. You oh, know? my God. I've still got – we used to have the same manager in America, and I've still got their early albums all yeah. still in their wrappers. Wow. Never opened them. I thought, this is not this is an art concept. You know, yeah. I don't want to open them. I want to keep them intact. You know, all that. and. Oh. God, I love the residence. Yeah. 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 I've had a studio in, in um, San Francisco in the 80s. Wow. And when they weren't looking, I put one of the eyeball heads on. T shirts and an eyeball head on. Brilliant. Absolutely. I did the same with the Sheffield Wednesday mascot. I put the Aussie owl head on and did. <laughs> God, it stank. Anyway, um, okay, and finally, I know you're more known as a guitarist, but what's your favourite synth? Ooh. I've got one of them SH-101s. Yeah. Some good That's going back some. Yeah. I swapped it for a... Um... Oh, God, I swapped it for, like, a Farfisa compact duo. I wish I had the Farfisa compact yeah, duo. Yeah, yeah, Farfisa is good. But, um, yeah, I think that really because you can get some good sounds out of that, some good noises. Yeah, yeah. Have but you ever messed about putting synths uh, through uh, pedals and yeah. amps and stuff? Yeah, I do. And um, a lot of the time, I try and make the guitar sound less like a guitar as possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's using effects and techniques 
you know, no, like scratching, really? rolling things up and down, or you know, flicking things <laughs> whatever you know, <laughs> dropping things on it, you know. dropping ball bearings on it, all sorts yeah. of shit. Yeah. Um, just finally, your uh, uh, your plan to do further iterations of your um, autobiography is that right? Yeah, yeah, I got to part two. Um, that, that'll be when, from when Pete DeFreitas come. He came up to Liverpool. There was a gig, teardrop explodes on us in Liverpool. It was Christmas, and he came up just to see us. And then we kind of practiced the next day with him. We never called it rehearse in them days. We used to call it practice. Yeah. What time? What time we practice? It was always <laughs> didn't seem to be a bit too professional. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so he came up and we met him and everything and I had the chat with him. And he was a lovely bloke. And the next day, I think it was, he came down to this rehearsal place that was in our mate's basement, his mum's basement. And um, we just ran through some songs and he drummed along, you know. And it was, we didn't have anything to compare him to. We didn't know he was a genius. <laughs> you know, it was just like, wow, that sounds great, you know, powerful, you know. The drum machine was just. I like them mini pops, juniors. They're pretty. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. Fantastic. Well, that's um, that's it. Well, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, it's been instructional for me. Yeah. You've got to do an audio version of your book. I have done it. Have you? Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to that. Oh, I prefer audiobooks to. Yeah, I do because you know you can put it in the car and that, and and it's the tone of voice as well. It's so important yeah. in autobiography, I think. I've got this one at the minute. Um, I've just finished Ian Rankin's last one called "Song for Dark Times," and I'm I'm going on to this one, Chantaram, which uh, of mine is doing the music for. For uh, Apple, are making a film of this. This you know, it's a series. It's a dead long book. Like the, right. the audio book is 42 hours long. Holy shit. Yeah, so That's an investment. Yeah. Still only one credit on Audible. <laughs> I know, it's good, isn't it? I just buy a whole bunch of credits and then I, I go I go for quantity, not quality. <laughs> I just to listen to in the car so you, you yeah. know, listen to the news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want to listen to the news. No. All right, man, that's it. I will, uh, as fellow label mates, I look forward to meeting you in the future. It'd be great to have a pint at some point. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm coming up to Sheffield. Oh, you're not in Sheffield, are you? You're in London. No, I'm in London. I'm in that London. Yeah. yeah. Well, never know. We might all get together with Richard and have a pint together yeah. at some point. Yeah. Brilliant. Right. Nice one, Martin. All right, mate. See you later. Thank you. Will Sargent, what an interesting character. Um, very droll, kind of typical Liverpudlian, lovely guy. He's got a load of stories. Uh, I'm sure, I've never met him, but I'm sure I get on very well with him in the flesh. We have a lot in common. And um, a love of art in particular, and, and that kind of stuff. And uh, as I mentioned before, we're going to be on the same... Um, book label as it were 
Little Brown. Um, and um, hopefully we'll have similar success because his autobiography has been a big success. Um, how is everyone? I hope you're keeping well. Don't forget, if you want to help with the with keeping this all going, we'd love you to join our um, Patreon page, become a patron of Electronically Yours on uh, patreon.com slash electronically hours if you search for that uh, for the price of a pint a month you can help keep this podcast going because it costs me money and time to do this it's getting harder to find the time to do it uh, as we start doing more and more gigs and more and more uh, work as the world opens up so i'd really appreciate your help and for those who have already joined the patreon page i give you my heartfelt thanks it's really helping and also SGM, who are uh, sponsoring uh, 10 episodes. Uh, I've got a lot of um, thanks to give to you as well. They're also our promoters for our, a lot of our tours. So that was um, fortuitous. So, yeah, isn't this great? We're getting a lovely bunch of uh, interviews. I've done probably about 10 in the last two weeks, so I know I'm going to get very busy soon so i'm trying to stockpile them again and uh, we've got some amazing people coming up for you you're gonna love it and some exclusive episodes that are going to come out on electronically hours as well um it's email time again hugh darcy hi martin just heard the joe kai's podcast thank you i've been a lifelong fan of joe from the Rosillo's days through shake i have the old odd format 10 inch single and of course humanly mark ii the less exciting one, brackets, and onwards. My best mate's sister was Seymour Stein's PA back in the day of Sire Records, Rizzolos and Ramones, so we got lots of good free records along the way. Helpful when you were 14 and skint. Much underrated talent and great guitarist, songwriter and all-round good guy, great interview, the warmth came over very well, a lot of mutual respect, loved the synth lesson story. Thanks so much for the podcast. Hugh Darcy, thank you. Uh, this is from Paolo X, from, I believe. Dear Martin, thank you, thank you, thank you for the interview with Dan and Michelle. It was superb. You are spoiling your listeners, my friend. Best wishes from Brazil. Paolo. That's nice. Hi, Martin. Loved the Brian Cox interview. I'm up for more interviews like that. This is from Andy Ford. Uh, I love astronomy and science in general, but I'm a musician, a term I use loosely, and have a small hardware-based studio since only. Perhaps interesting guests would love electronic music that you might not necessarily associate with the music industry, such as J.J. Abrams, for instance. I understand he's a bit of a synth nerd. That's a good idea. God knows I would contact him. Uh, uh, maybe maybe um, Jerry Casali might know him. I expect he might be a bit busy. No, no shit, Sherlock. With more crappy Cash Cow Star Wars Trek spin-offs, though. You could grill Brian in a second interview about life as a musician. I'm sure there would be a few tales to tell there. Cheers, Martin. Keep up the good work. Kindest regards, Andy. Please feel free to email me if you have ideas for guests, if you have ideas for sections for the programme. I had a go at um, Seven Deadly Synths. Uh, recently and that'll be coming out soon uh, what else yeah 
um, it's great. And uh, as I've started performing live and doing all these festival shows and stuff, people, lots of people are coming up, up to me saying they enjoy the podcast. Uh, and it's really encouraging. So uh, I'm very happy at the moment with all that. Um, hope you tune in next week. And also, I keep forgetting to mention, please... Um, you know, there's 50 odd of these now. Um, try and listen, they're not in any, it's not, they're not really meant to be listened to in chronological order. You can listen to them in any order you want. So, I would really, um, recommend that you go back and listen to some, some of them, if not all of them. Um, it, um, it'll keep you company in my mellifluous voice, uh, which I hope isn't too irritating, will, um, keep you company as well. So, See you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Bye.